Welcome to Season 1 of Instrumental. I'm your host, Amber Petty. I, I like to overthink everything, but I thought this was important to mention because when I was planning this series, it was uh, a couple of months before my dad died on Good Friday this year, which has been, you know, a, a struggle. And in the weeks after he died, and I knew that I had this podcast series, you know, uh, that was about to start and I was finishing another one. And I thought, oh God, what do I feel passionate about? Like this is, it's going to be, it's going to be hard for a while to do things. And so which, what are the things in my life that are sort of, you know, scheduled that I'm actually going to feel like I can do, you know, uh, on, you know, in and amongst the grief. And so I was aware that I'd been so excited about doing this podcast and I still was really, I, I still was happy about it, but I still was, I thought, oh, I need, I, I actually need a bit of lifting. Anyway, when I, when I first started planning it and I was speaking to my brother and I said, okay, who do you think is the best drummer in Australia? And he immediately said your name. And I said, well, I'm popping him on the list because, you know, you've got to aim high in life. Like, why not aim high? Anyway... Two weeks after um, Dad died, I got uh, an email from your management guys saying, um, Robert loved to do the podcast, um, so let's let's organise that. And I, you know what, it just, it was the yes that I really needed at that time and I just thought, I just wanted you to know that because I think, you know, you never know when someone needs your yes. Yeah, well, thanks so much, Amber. I'm very sorry about your dad. Thank I, I lost you. my dad last year as well. Did you? So I have an oh, idea so of reasons. maybe how you feel. And, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, well, it's my, my pleasure, actually. And, um, you know, musicians love talking about the gear they use. And yeah. particularly when the gear is, you know, is um, not your average straight off the shelf, yeah. um, you know, retail stuff yeah and stuff that's been picked up over many years yeah and all of it has a kind of a story to it oh how beautiful so i think you'll find that you know a lot of musicians here and overseas will be very happy to talk about the stuff they use that's right and it because i really wanted it to be about sort of the love stories of you know i i mean i'm 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 so fascinated by people and life and i I, I'm very interested also because I, I look around the world and I see a lot of people that haven't found their passion and purpose and I think that's, you know, I mean, more, most, more people than not have, have yet to find what they're really good at and what their yeah, passion and purpose is. And so I love kind of speaking to people like yourself that, that, that it appears to be that you, you, have, you found that and then kind of find out, well, how did that come about? It's sort of the love stories with something external from yourself, but yeah, well, for me, it was really early. Like, I, yeah, it, I, got I just I just saw the movie Midnight Oil, nineteen eighty four. Oh, it was well, the best! I loved it. Yeah, yeah can't believe that's so, almost thirty five years ago. Isn't that crazy? Uh, Which also goes back to just you know <laughs> me, kind of like I mean, a huge, huge. We'll always be a Midnight Oil fan, but you know, particularly. Um, you know, your music was, was so big to me when, when I was sort of, you know, f- 15 and when, when obviously Red Sails and, um, you know, when, when, you, when you were kind of at, at your height and, and you were not a, not a new band but you are sort of on the rise and kind of exploding everywhere. Um, but what I learned from the movie in my sort of ignorance because, you, you know, you obviously forget timelines and stuff like that is that you had, and correct me if I'm wrong, 
you guys as a band hadn't toured for like 26 years. I'm trying to remember my details from the movie. And then when you came back, so last year, so what I'm standing in awe in front of is and seeing this sign, I wasn't wrong in kind of going, oh, wow, Midnight Oil in Paris. Is that a bit weird? Because you hadn't done a world tour for such a long time. Yeah. Then f- f- 15 so, years, yeah. Was it 15? Yeah. I thought it said 26. Still a long time. But then apparently, you know, when you did announce that world tour, like did 72 countries and nearly all of them or if all of them sold out. Yeah, so we, we didn't know. Um, mind-blowing. So we toured for about 25 years pretty God, solidly. such a long time. And made a bunch of albums here and overseas. And um, we were very lucky. You know, we, we initially had a Sydney audience and then a Sydney-Melbourne audience and then yeah. a national audience and then made a few uh, excursions overseas, gradually got a college crowd, Kept on going back and back. The whole college crowd and college radio is so important. That thing was very important back then. Yeah. And we were lucky. Our timing, as we didn't know at the time, but our timing was really good because in the late 80s, suddenly there was all this interest in everything Australian, whether it be films, ah. Man from Snowy River or Mad Max or whatever. Oh, right. Or bands, you know, ourselves and In Excess and uh, oh. Men at Work and all those bands. Of course, right. So we just happened to be at the right place at the right time. Well, that's fate. And, and you know, and I have, <clears throat> I have sort of heard a little bit of that sort of like, you know, right place, right time, timing was good and stuff. But it's meant to happen, isn't it? Like you well, just fell into what the, was... The thing is you still have to be there yes. ready to take the advantage of it. That's right. Otherwise, you're going to miss that wave. Yeah. And we were lucky. So we'd already established ourselves with a few beachheads overseas, but it wasn't really until uh, the Diesel and Dust album, following the Blackfella Whitefella tour, yeah. that um, suddenly we were asked to play festivals all around the world. Wow. And then we, then we went on these manic tours lasting three months, two back, two weeks back in Australia, another three months, you know, like it was. Jeez. So the workload by the 80s actually ramped up again for a while. Yeah. And then calmed down in the 90s and we continued recording right up until 2002 when Pete left. Yeah. And then it was 15 years uh, oh, I before, see. That, gotcha. show you, before the, you, that show you saw in yeah. Paris. Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. And France had always been very good for the band, by the way. Much Why m- do you think that is? Much more than... Um, because they're very, they're, 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 it, it, you would have to say it's a city of active, uh, activists and, and, and in, in, you know, act, activism positive people. Well, I think initially it was because we put out some film clips from the desert, um, the Dead Heart film clip. Yeah, yeah. Beds of Burning film yeah. clip. And, uh, and after that, the next album, Blue Sky, mine, film clip, and they're all shot in remote areas. And I think the French love the idea of the exotic. Do they? And the different. And so when French yeah. French film crews used to come over and they'd go out back and they, they would expect a Sydney band to still be out just, bush, you know. Just jam. Yeah, they'd, the they'd, they'd kind of arrive in Alice Springs going, where, you know, where, 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 where is this Midnight Oil? And uh, <laughs> actually. We came a long way. Yeah, that's right. So, oh, they're out here for six weeks and now they're back in Sydney. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's where they With live. With a film crew. <laughs> yeah. Do you but get I think, it? I think that's why um, in Europe, even more so than in England, yeah, and particularly in France and Germany, Sweden, Switzerland, Holland, yeah, um, not so much in Southern Europe, mainly Northern European, yeah. Uh, I think Australia must have looked, and still does, so different mm. than crowded, green, wet, cold Europe. Yeah, yeah of course. 
so, I mean, obviously these episodes are really about exploring kind of, you know, the love stories between, you know, people like yourself and and their chosen instrument and one of the, you know, really powerful things that comes out of um, the movie um, is just you and this huge love affair with your drums and drumming. Um, where did Where did your early beginnings with drumming become come from so uh, until I was seven I, um, we lived that's myself and my two brothers we lived yeah. up in a bush block five acres uh, in an, an area of Campbelltown oh yeah southwest yep. of Sydney yeah and it was just an old house with a veranda around it but we had all this space to run around and be wild kids oh how lovely it was completely the opposite now you know we just Bothered funnel webs and Dad had this flying fox and <laughs> oh, we made wow. cubby houses in the bush and we used to walk to school a couple of miles and it was just complete freedom. Yeah. And then and uh, so Australian. And yeah, the bush it was just it was ironbark yeah. bush, really hot, dusty summers with flies and and frosty winters, but great freedom. We were so lucky. Beautiful. We didn't know it at the time. No. And no, then, you don't. And then on on. On the TV, which Dad had just bought, <laughs> little, <laughs> little, black little black and white one, which kept yeah. blowing up, the tube kept blowing up, <laughs> and the technician had to keep coming back and repairing. <laughs> um, came this show called uh, Thank Your Lucky Stars, which was uh, an English show where th- all the bands mimed. I don't think there was any live performances. I think they do. I think they've still got a version of that, like Stars in Your Eyes or something like that. It was kind of the precursor of Ready, Steady, Go, I think. And oh, okay. So every week they'd have all the bands of the time, and I'm telling, I'm talking really early 60s. Yeah. Uh, bands like um, the Dave Clark Five, Mersey Beats, um, Hollies, the Stones, the Who, the Animals, the Kinks. All of those bands were just starting off in the early 60s. Amazing. And suddenly they were all on the screen oh. and I was just transfixed by them all. Yeah. But no more than the Beatles, of course, were the thing. Yeah. It was this massive, you're either a Stones fan or a Beatles fan. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, and I was a huge Ringo fan. And I just used to start oh. setting up the bar stools, like with, for a snare and a tom-tom and a floor time and a cymbal. Yeah. And I started playing along to Ringo. Isn't that funny when you you mentioned Ringo and obviously I'm hardly the drummer, although I did force my way into my um, uh, primary school band and make myself the captain of the girls' drumming team because there was there was a drumming team obviously, but it was all it was all boys, and I remember just saying, "Why aren't there any girls?" Anyway, I made myself and my my friend who really didn't want to be there um, part of the drumming ca- team, and then of course I went, "Well, we're the girls, so I guess I'll be captain." Um, but <laughs> but I but I yeah too fell in love with Ringo. And and I do have, as I said, a little bit of a love for kind of the, the drums, but that was sort of, yeah, really just something that you went. That's it. Out of out of everything that everyone else was playing, was the drums. Yeah. I, do you I, think it was Ringo, or was it the drums, or just? Oh, both? it was both. And yeah. uh, um, a hard day's night came out, and by this time we'd moved. Dad had moved the family down to Balmoral Beach. Oh, because it always beautiful. Wanted, Another always, great location. Well, he'd always wanted to swim as a child. He used to catch the tram from Chatswood. It was a tram back then down to from Chatswood to Balmoral Beach. Were there trams? There were trams. Oh. They were sold to Melbourne. 
Oh. And now, by the way, we're putting we trams. That? They call it light rail now, but we're yeah. putting trams back in Sydney. Yes, but, I know. But those trams went to Melbourne. And, ah, uh, but yeah. um, we, there were trams in Sydney, and Dad used to catch the tram down to Balmoral Beach and swim there. So as soon, as, when I was about seven and my older brother was nine and my younger brother was only two, Dad moved the whole family back down to a little block near Balmoral Beach so he could swim again, yeah. and so we could swim. And by then, the Beatles movies were coming out, Hard Day's Night and Help, and I went to the local movies, The Kings, Picture Theatre, yeah. Mossman. Is it still there? No, long, no. long gone. Oh. To see Hard Day's Night, and you couldn't hear anything because the girls were just screaming. Oh, my God, but, how annoying. But it didn't matter because all I wanted to do you was to look really closely at what Ringo what was, was doing. doing. Yeah. And so my style is very much based upon not just Ringo but all of those um, – those drummers from that vintage, yeah. uh, like a beat, it's like a backbeat generation of, yep. of bands. Charlie Watts was the same, although his grip was different. Mm. Um, but Dave Clark Five, um, and then, then after that, I sort of got. So it was sort of an, an, an era of. It of was because, style? because you know, without without boring you about you know the history of drumming, up until the. 50- no, well, it wouldn't bore me, but I just don't expect me to be too. Uh, yeah. I, I, I say to in, in nearly every episode, I get very panicky and think, "Oh God, these people think that I know more about instruments than I do." It's like, no, I, I actually I don't, but it's, yeah. I'm happy to go with you. Just don't expect too much from me. Well, <laughs> well what happened was uh, very very quick background yeah. in the in the earliest days of the drum kit. Um, the drummers were basically mimicking marching rhythms. Mm-hmm. And it basically consisted of a marching drum, initially sideways and then propped up, and then a kick pedal, and they think, had this thing called a, uh, it wasn't even a hi-hat, it was a sock cymbal played with the left, but you didn't play it with the stick. Yeah. And then a, a snare drum, plus a whole lot of what they used to call traps, which were bells and whistles and wood blocks and things, and that was the kit. And that was all... Heavily syncopated music driven by the kick drum on the oh. on the fours and the eights, and then by the time um, um, people like uh, Gene Krupa, Buddy Rich, Louis Belson came along, um, the drum kit had changed to much more like the drum kit we know today. Right. The, the sock cymbal had become a hi hat and was actually played, oh. and and those drummers used to ride on a big ride cymbal and that was propelling the rhythm, and everything else was played around that. So if you look at those drummers, it's all done with the right hand, or yeah. mostly they were right-hand drummers, and, and they would add colour from the toms and the snare. Right. But then in the 60s, with Bill Haley and Elvis and Little Richard, um, and those, you, you notice that the, the emphasis comes back off the right cymbal and goes back onto the left hand, the backbeat. Uh-huh. So all of those, so that was my generation when I came in. Yeah was these bands that were playing backbeat music and, mm-hmm. it, and that's still what I do because that's what I've learned to do first. Yeah, yeah. So did you so did you add classes like did you go uh, did you learn drumming or did you d- teach yourself? So at school um, we're at Mossman Primary now. Yeah. Oh yeah. Alongside by the way um, uh, uh, Alan Border and oh. yes it was Obviously, going that to be era. captain of the yeah. the Australian cricket team. Like and he went to your school. Yeah, he, he was went there. to the pr- primary went to school. The, yeah, we were contemporaries in the same year. Oh wow! As was. Uh, Isn't that weird? I find that really freaky. Just the thought to, you could go to like a primary school and just look at you know a, a class of thirty yeah. or something and go, there could be two people. 
that everyone in Australia is going to know. Well, there were at least three weird. because Tom Berlinson was in that year as well. Oh, wow. We went on to make Snowy them. Snowy River, yeah. Snowy River and then Jeez, that's a fair he, he does Sinatra now. Yeah. Wow. Oh, right. So anyway, yeah, so I, I um, early on ma- managed to find myself in the band, which... You were probably more well-received than I was in the band. <laughs> well, initially, <laughs> I'm not sure. Yourself. But, but in those days, it was just marching drums with pigskin heads. Yeah. So we learned how to slacken off the heads at the end of the day because if, you know, if the weather got cold or dry yeah. and we didn't slacken off the, the skins, then they would crack. And oh. So we learned basic drum craft. Yeah. This is before plastic. It was heads. God Save the Queen. Was that what you were drumming to? No, basically just tapping out rhythms um, on parade day for the whole school to go up to the Oval. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. So we used to do. So our our setup was. I don't know whether it was every morning. It felt like every morning, but then I've hung on to one story, and of course it's my own. Um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do remember, like you know, school assembly. So everyone would gather, and then yeah. we'd sing "God Save the Queen," and then the and yeah. then the band, the drummers, would drum us out, yeah, or drum us into school, yeah. Was so it was something like s- that. Something yeah. like that, yeah. 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 <laughs> but you don't, yeah. We, the, so, so f- from uh, Mr. Prendergast, who was the drum major fellow, yeah. the teacher. Everyone remembers. All of you guys remember your music. Yeah, teachers. Well, it's, it's, so like, it's like everyone. Everyone remembers the most important teachers in their lives, or the instrumental yeah. ones. Yeah. Yeah. So Mr. Prendergast taught us basic rhythms that we had to go, go away and learn. Yeah. So that's – and then when I got to high school, to avoid going to cadets, which com, was compulsory at the high school I went to, oh. um, I joined the band once again. <laughs> and in Singleton <laughs> – An escape. Yeah, at Singleton where everyone else was forced to go and learn how to dissemble guns and, you know, play oh, wow. play um, young army cadets. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the band would just continue learning rudiments and rhythms, oh, particularly wow. military-style buzz rolls and things, which I still use a lot. Ah. So that's carried into what I do now as well. So that was really the only kind of formal teaching, except there was one guy. It's, um, just, it's already interesting yeah. that it's just something, it's like it's sort of you and me, kid, we're, we're, we're still going, we're still going, we're still together, you know what I mean? Like, Yeah. Well, that, In terms of you and the drums. Well, it was a constant from the age of – for me it was a constant from the age of about six or seven. Yes. On my seventh birthday, mum and dad gave me a a pair of drumsticks. Did they? And, yeah, as I said – So they were really supportive? Yeah, they regretted it immediately, of course, but (laughs) – so so then I could – every parent that gets a bicycle. So then I could just play along on those those bar stools or on the carpet along with – Whatever was being, you know, shown, and then, of course, I used to start saving up to buy vinyl then. Yeah. And um, sp- there used to be a little shop, Spit Music, which was there for decades and decades in Spit Road, just off Spit Road, Military Road, actually Mossman, and that's where I bought all the the albums that changed my life, the ones that I, you know, whether it was. Yeah. What were some of those? Well, it was like uh, I'd save and save because you know albums were expensive back yeah. then. So I had seven, seven. I bought a Rolling Stones compilation called uh, High Tide and Green Grass, which had all their early hits. Yeah. I bought a Who compilation called Meaty Beaty Big and Bouncy. <laughs> what a name. I bought all the Credence albums because yeah. I absolutely love Credence. Yeah, I yeah. Had, eventually had... Because you grew up in a good... You know, I always say that I'm, I'm, I, I love the fact that I was a kid in the 70s because there was, you know, fashion and music and just, you know, I don't know what was happening, world events. Oh, well, obviously that was Vietnam. That was my problem. But, you know, music and 
um, you know, fashion was amazing. And then the 80s, even though I thought it was the most idiotic, I mean, I remember even being in the 80s and going, oh, we're going to regret all of this. But there was, but now it's taken me a few decades to go, no, there was a real joyfulness, you know, um, greed, but all, there was a lot of greed in the 80s, but also yeah. joyfulness. Yeah. But you, you grew up in some pretty classy eras in terms of music, didn't you? 60s and 70s. It was a great time to be a budding drummer because you had, um, say, yeah. the late Mitch Mitchell with the Jimi Hendrix experience. Yeah. You had... Um, uh, like ging- real genius ginger, stuff. Ginger Baker with uh, Cream. Yeah. Um, you had um, Keith Moon with The Who. Yeah. And, and... So then you've been spat out into the 80s. In in Midnight Oil, I mean, obviously there's a, probably a, a few steps in between that, but but you've yeah, yeah. it's just interesting because you just you know you've you, you've gained a lot of knowledge and, and actually a lot of experience by that point. No wonder you were suddenly so shit. This guy's good. See what happened was, we, uh, how did what was the lead up at, eight, at eighteen? I left school and I went to look after a, a property that Dad owned in Chatswood, mm. an old Federation house. Oh, yeah. And I was there for about eight and a half years, and my job was to just get some rent for Dad. Mm. Um, he was hanging on to it as an investment. Yeah, but it was perfect for us be. because that's where Midnight all started rehearsing. Oh. initially in the lounge room, and then we, the other tenants kicked us out. <laughs> And so we did the classic thing where we got the egg cartons and the underfelt in the garage oh, and, used to re- and used to rehearse in the garage. To sound perfect. And there's a great photo of us actually with all our heads sticking out the back of the garage oh. after a rehearsal there. But that's where uh, Midnight, that's Midnight All started. Who kind of, so how did you know the other guys? Like how did you come to know each other? So uh, I met a fellow up the road, uh, John Royal, who was a flautist. And What's a flautist? Someone who plays a flute. Flute. Oh, okay, right, yeah. And he said, I know this guy, um, James Magini, and he's a really good guitar player. And um, he didn't go to the same school, but um, so I had never heard him. Mm. But, so, but John said, why don't we go and visit him? Mm. So um, I think I'm, I wasn't driving by then, so I must have got mum or dad to drop me up to um, Jim's place. So you're obviously very serious about, right, let, let's, get, let's get a proper band together. Well, I, I was by then because I had this incident. There was an incident with my leg. I had a health issue with my leg where I had a benign cancer oh, when I was wow. uh, 13. Really? And it took about a year to recover. Shivers. And How did you find out that you had that? Oh, it was that? just aches and pains Hurting. and yeah. eventually I was rushed in and initially they thought I was going to lose my leg, which, would have, which would have been a bit of a disaster. Shivers. But it would have changed everything. <clears throat> But it took a long time um, to recover from that. And as soon as I recovered from that, mum and dad, as a kind of a consolation prize, went into Harry Landis, the drum shop in Park Street, uh-huh. Sydney, and bought me this star drum kit. Uh-huh. And immediately I started pounding away with that. And so I immediately started looking for people to play with. And so about that time, John Royal came down and said, come and meet James, or Jim as he's known now. Mm. And that's how we met. And we hit it off from the, the word go. Mm. Almost from the word go, we started writing songs together. Really? We developed this songwriting relationship, which started basically went right throughout Midnight Oil's career. Wow. And, yeah, it was just one of those great things. And then we gradually added members. Where did you find Peter? Uh, Well, before Peter, Martin – I'm sorry, uh, yeah, Peter Peter came to audition because initially I was was singing and playing the drums 
which got harder and harder. I, I went. I saw a band last night. I went to see uh, Harry um, Harry James Angus. Yeah, yeah. Is he not just wonderful, Cat Empire? But he yeah. he did his he performed his new album, Struggle with Glory. Yeah. Oh my god! If he comes up here and you get the chance, you're like, yeah, mm, oh my god. Um, but. Uh, yeah, so I was watching the drummer, and anyway, he was he. I was sitting there, sort of, you know, always questioning, sort of, you know, my naivety, and I was sitting there thinking, God, it's amazing! Like all of these people seem to be such incredible singers. Is this is this normal for a band like this? Because I haven't seen yeah, yeah. a lot of bands like him. Anyway, then he referenced it, and he said, you know, it's pretty rare to be able to to have so many really really good singers. You know, the celloist was a singer, the pianist was a singer. The, you know, like he had, uh, you know, about five or six. Beautiful. So it just gave it this incredible. The only one that wasn't singing was the the drummer, and I literally sat there and I thought, "How would you? I'm going to have to ask Rob that. Like that that'd be hard to." Yeah. She was going pretty fast at some time. Yeah. Well, you've got to. I guess you've got to try to keep enough breath power for the drums, it's all about and then the enough, breath, isn't and it? then enough for the vocal. Yeah. So, so you have to really divvy it out. Yeah. You kind of got to ration what you've got. Yeah. Which yeah. <laughs> increasingly harder and harder, but. Um, Back then, no, I wasn't a very good singer. So we, we put an ad in the Sydney Morning Herald for a singer and Pete turned up. And there were what did two- you think of him? Do you still remember him walking in the door? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How vivid is that? Tall, blonde-haired guy, surfer-looking guy back yeah. then. Because he's such an exquisitely interesting-looking Oh, striking, human. very striking back striking. then. Striking. Yeah, and so he sang Locomotive Breath by Jethro Tull ah. and a slow blues. Yeah. A couple of other things. And then we auditioned a couple of other people and then – Jim and I said, what do you think? And I think Jim said, because Pete had a really high range back then. He used to sing yeah. way up high, oh. almost a falsetto. Yeah. And Jim said, well, he's not a great singer, but no one's ever going to forget him. So. No, that's so true. <laughs> so, it- so Pete became a great singer, obviously, in a very distinctive voice, but it, it took a while for him to find his range and his uh, approach. to interrupt but I just wanted to have a little chat about my sponsors because as a broadcaster who's worked on FM and talkback radio and now of course in my favorite place which is podcasting you have to realize that the more seasoned you become you really deserve good quality equipment to work with and headphones to radio people podcasters singers and musicians become one of those things that you really want to feel good about and I recently acquired the MT8 Yamaha headphones and I've become a very excited about the fact that even after all these years, when you become a bit complacent, that these headphones have taken my love of sound to a real new level. And I asked my audio engineer, Luke James, to check them out and give them a try. And he reckons he loves them because of their crisp sounds, solid build quality. And he thinks, as I do, that they're super comfortable to wear. I'm actually wearing them right now. And you can check them out for yourself at bettermusic.com.au forward slash MT8. And now back to my guest. There were lots of things that obviously that I took out of the, the movie about you um, and there was things to do with energy and, and that place that you go because it was really beautifully celebrated in the movie you and just the way you know, uh, you know your brilliance, but also I was just really, you, you, you seem to go into this wonderful place. It's almost like sitting there. It's quite kind of like, oh, well, 
what is he thinking? I mean, obviously it's incredibly physical and you, you know, you're one of the most sort of strong and physical uh, drummers I've ever seen. But also that like when you're really into it, where, what's going on in your mind? Like where are you? You were thinking about, oh, you know, I've got to keep this, uh, you know, energy or I'm getting tired or it's this. Or you just, where are you going in your head? Well, it's a bit of a trap to start zoning out. Because there was moments where I'm thinking you look like you're in such a beautiful place that it looks like you're zoning out, but you're obviously not because you're there to well, do a job. Well, it's, it's dangerous to do that because then, then you actually do – Forget where you are in the song or... And there's other people relying yeah. on you. But, you know, if you're on a long tour, um, you get on a roll. A, a real rhythm yeah. with everyone in it. And um, uh, see, with that tour last year... What was we, that like we rehearsed, for you? We rehearsed uh, pretty much everything we'd ever written and recorded, mm. B-sides, outtakes, demos. Mm-hmm. It's about wow. 175 songs. We, so we, you could pull from anything? Yeah, Jim said Is we should be way? able to play everything we've ever done. Yeah, right. So that's why, I took, that's why we were in a re- rehearsal room for so long before we even did that tour. Right. And we didn't play anything like that number every night. No. But it gave us opportunity just to throw in wild cards through that long tour. And to, and, and to mix it up and surpri- create a different yeah. energy every yeah. time. Yeah, surprise ourselves. And actually because yeah. if, if you're playing the same set, then you just kind of lock into a – particularly if you're playing in the same order. Yeah. So we tried to mitigate against that by throwing in stuff which you actually have to remember and concentrate yes. on as if it was the first time you play it, you know, yes. before you before it becomes I've, muscle memory and you start yes. to do it automatically. Because you sort of answered a question because I, I, I often thought, God, you know, like so many bands, like they look like they're living this wonderful life and they're making a fortune. But if I had to get up every every concert and do the same, you know, songs or if I had to do the same anything, that would be a price that I wouldn't really want to pay. But it's probably, I mean, apart from the fact that fans expect a lot, well, and, and you also got like a body of material that is vast and probably more than a lot of other bands – but a lot of it too is probably they're too scared to get up there and, and try anything that they, they haven't rehearsed mm-hmm. or that's not off the latest album because they might forget it. Yeah, well, that happens. Mm. But here's the thing. People love it when you make a mistake. Yeah, because <laughs> they won't as they're singing along or whatever. They probably they won't make a mistake. No, no. I mean, I went to see Paul McCartney a couple of months ago and um, I mean, I wonder how many times he's sung Maybe I'm Amazed. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know whether you saw it, Amber, but he started the song in Sydney yeah. and he played the first eight bars and mm. then he stopped the band and he said, I'm going to start this song again because it's only been going for a few seconds and I've sung the wrong lyric and played the wrong chords. Oh. <laughs> And it was a highlight of the night. Oh, so people actually yeah. like people actually like to see the human. Yeah, and I the mean, even even arguably the greatest contemporary yeah. musician of last century. Totally can still oh, isn't that can still stuff up. It was quite heartwarming, really. Yeah, um, he uh, yeah didn't uh, the, the the feedback and, the, and everything about his tour was so wonderful, yeah. um, especially for a guy of his era too. You know, because I think we live in such a bloody age obsessed society, which I hate. Um, and and it's so ridiculous and it so minimises so many wonderful well, things about getting older. There's a guy, 75, yeah. and he's screaming helter-skelter Crazy, to this adoring crowd. I mean, really. Amazing. The voice is, you know, a bit damaged, yeah. but he's still got that amazing rock and roll voice when he lets fly. Yeah, yeah. Was, it was very inspirational. Yeah. So with drumming, I mean, it is such a physical – well, drumming, it depends obviously what music, but for, for certainly you, it is such 
a um, a physical, uh, you know, expression. Like, did you have to? Did you have to kind of keep fit in in the early days? Like, was or was drumming? I mean, you are kind of sitting down. Um, your arms have to be like. What goes on with your body? Like, you know, we can all imagine what happens to an AFL football player. But what you're doing on, on, on a stage um, then and now is... So all your limbs are going and then if you're singing yeah. as well, you're trying to... So it's, yeah, it's pretty, so it's body, pretty involving, it? yeah. And I used to run all the time. Did you? Play squash in the early days before the inevitable squash injuries, you know. Yeah. And... I don't know if you saw that film. I was running around the park in Adelaide, I think, in that film at one point. There was so much. You know what? I was trying to rank. There is so much in that movie that you actually, and I don't mean it in a bad way because it's edited really beautifully. Ray Argyle did a great job. Oh, wow. Um, But there is so much in there that you you really could see that film ten times and pull different things out of it. So I I would have obviously seen that, but there's – so, so you running around. I, I, all, all I did take from it too is, is also that you guys were were definitely not the kind of drinking, drugging, well, you know, sleeping thing, around the was, types. We, the thing was we couldn't really um, – we couldn't do anything except focus on the hour and a half on stage mm-hmm. or two hours on stage mm. because – the um, the level of intensity was such that yeah so much energy yeah so yeah. you know you could wreck yourself that night if you want to but you knew you'd pay for it the next day yeah. so yeah and everyone had a very uh, responsible attitude to the other members thinking yeah everyone I can't it, let them down well that's right then that's if I'm making this decision to go out and yeah, have a vendor yeah, I'm actually right. making yeah. that without their consent yeah. but it's going to involve them there's a funny there's another funny thing in the 1984 film where the band comes off and is given each of us each of the members is given a cup of tea yes <laughs> well that's i should have pretended that that's why i got we, we set up the tea party that's right. in acknowledgement that I, I, I know you're a tea i thought drinker. that's why we had tea today oh, y- yes it is it, it is and yeah. and hopefully we've got the brand yes, right very it's heavy, very hard to see the brand very heavy very heavy heat tea drinkers this band but but I love but, that. Yeah. And I think as a result of that, um, I think that's probably the reason we were able to play that tour last year mm-hmm. is that everyone was pretty much, you know, pretty you're good, still, good physically. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's, there were health issues last year. Yeah. And Jim, of course, in at the My Music Bowl tore the hamstring completely off the bone on the oh my fourth God, last show. That. Yeah. And oh then did the last four shows in a wheelchair. You're joking. No. Oh, my God. So uh, we wrecked ourselves. Yeah. You, know. you went for it. <laughs> yeah. And um, so we were trying to play like we did when the songs were first yeah. recorded yeah. when we were in our 20s and 30s, you know. Um, the other thing that I, um, I, I, you know, you forget so easily the way the world used to be and one of the things that um, it, it was talked about in the movie is, you know, obviously you're playing at venues where everyone's fagging their heads off. Oh. Christ, what was that doing yeah, that to was, your lungs? That was really unfortunate because I'm an asthmatic and it was, I was having, oh. having a consistent bronchitis problems. Were you? Yeah. Of course you would have been. So in those days there was this um, beer barns. Uh, I guess there's a few out there, but they're smoke-free now. Um, but imagine 2,000 oh people all lighting up. And, oh, my God. And by the time the band got on, it was like this Lon- oh London God. fog. And you're even raised a bit too. Yeah. You know, so then, you're kind of in the, the, the literally the yeah. thick of it. And then some, you know, lighting trog would add, add 
greater mis- misery, a smoke machine, oh and then hit you with super troopers, you know, like super le- your oh, park hands and things. Whoa. So there was this, you're in this kind of giant overheated bong for, t- <laughs> you know, for two, for any, two hours. The, yeah. Without any of the fun fuzziness. Yeah, without, although there might have been a residual effect. Yeah, that's true, that's <laughs> pa- true. Of passive smoking, all well, that. Well, you're in a lot of euphoria yeah. too, so you probably don't need so it. So thank goodness, you know, um, 10 or 15 years ago, smoking was banned in most of the venues we play at. Thank God for you guys because yeah. that would have – did you feel – I mean, how did you feel yeah. after gigs? I mean, you know, I'm sure there is the, the the physical exhaustion. Like what does your body feel like the day after, like, you know, last year? How did your body – So we had this – your body o- feel? We had this oxygen cylinder ah, backstage. On your rider? Yeah, that, that came – yeah. No, we used to carry it around. The crew, yeah. the crew would have it and – so Pete and I wouldn't use that. Was that in the smoking days or that's just any time? No, you're... it was even last year we had it there just as an emergency because uh, we, f- we figured that, you know, some venues, we, a member of the band Couldn't might need control. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. And, um, so <laughs> wow. Yeah, so it's, um, yeah, I mean, the, the thing about, our band is it's, it was never going to be one of those bands that go quietly, softly into the night. Mm, mm. You know, we just can't. The music that we made doesn't lend itself to no. to just slowing down and and in the in a you know going down for the drummer to be on brushes rather than sticks. It's just not going to work. No. So we really painted ourselves into a corner yeah. all those years ago because there's only one way of playing Best of Both Worlds mm, or mm, Power and the Passion mm. or Hercules or Only the Strong. Mm. Otherwise, those songs just don't work. So you've got to sort of front up and that's right. Yeah. Like you all evenly have to be like we're here to deliver this yeah, yeah. musically and yeah. for what the lyrics and, are saying. And we don't want to disappoint the the audiences that have solid memories you can of the last the of the last gigs that yeah. they saw, yeah. which have been embellished by nostalgia as well. Yeah. You know, one hundred percent. Yeah, as a I. I mean, yeah. I mean. Out of this entire series, I mean, I'm grateful for everybody that that uh, that I've met so far and that I'm still to to talk to, but you know, it feels kind of like, as I said, you know, you giving me that yes, and it's almost like the yes out of everybody in the series, the yes that really lifted me on that day, it kind of had to come from you, because Midnight Oil was just such a you know, such a big part of my life with such huge, you know, I, I remember so clearly, you know, the times, you know, when I was 15 and we used to go down to, we had a holiday house down at Portsea, so we'd be down there a lot. So there was a lot of kind of beach parties sort of happening then. You know, I had my first kiss on the end of, you know, the Portsea Pier with this guy that I didn't really fancy, but I thought, oh, God, I've got to get this out of the way. I'm sick of everyone <laughs> telling, asking me whether I've had a tongue kiss before, so let's just get this shit out of the way. But again, it was like, you know, like it feels like, and I don't even think, you know, your music was playing at the time, but, you know, it feels like it would have been because so much was to the backdrop of your music. And, you know, of course there was so much political kind of content in there, you know, which you sort of half feel like you you, you understand, but you, you kind of don't. But there's an energy, it doesn't even really matter whether it was in Chinese, there's an energy to which your music yeah. provided yeah. that was yeah. – Right for the time. Um, there were a whole bunch of bands then, Amber, all kind of, they probably wouldn't admit it openly, but all kind of quietly competing with each other mm. to put on the best show in, mm-hmm. pu- in pubs. 
Was that well, the gurus? Similar? Yeah, yeah, the gurus. Um, the angels were the first I remember to have this amazing light show. Right. And, and Doc became a theatrical character more than a oh, rock singer. So I never got or into lead the singer. angels. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, Chisel, of course, Cole Chisel were doing the rounds back then. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I was never into them and, either. Uh, and Rose Tattoo and Dragon and yeah. uh, Jimmy and the Boys and Metal as anything. And it, all of these bands were like ships in the night. We wouldn't really often see see them. Yeah. Right. Because they'd be there that Saturday night. And then big you, brand, big music brands. Yeah. Competing. Yeah. And it was an amazing scene there for a while. Because also, you it wasn't a Spotify where you can have everything. Do you know what I mean? Musically, you yeah. had to make choices because then yeah, you had yeah, to have yeah. The, the tapes audiences were tribal, out, and, vinyl, yeah, yeah, and, and they'd follow very tribal, yeah, and they'd follow that band and that band, but they wouldn't follow that band, you know? yeah. And that's what because yeah, and look, I'm not, you know, I mean, I, at, by that stage, I was, you know, a little, you know, snob going to a little private school, um, and I, so I would say, oh, that that band and yeah. that band, and yeah. I won't name and yeah. shame them because yeah. not that I'm really sure they'd be fine about it. But you know, I would be like, oh, no, Bogans, listen to that. Yeah. But then I would get pretty rough and ready with your music because there was just the energy of that. that yeah. So we knew what the level that we had to come up with, and it was yeah. arguably one of the best testing grounds in the world. Yeah. All of those bands, by the way, were sort of coming up in the in the wake of ACDC. Because ACDC, ah. even by then, um, had established quite a following in northern England. Yeah. And then it spread, you know, they toured and toured and toured and they spread to the rest of so Europe. So they broke broken down a lot of walls. Yeah. So they were getting some success in Germany and then eventually in the United States. And, and showing other Australian yeah. bands what So we were be. sort of coming up in that thought, you know. Oh, hang on. Yeah. yeah. That's a pathway. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's fine. We can see, we can see that pathway now. Um so in between, um, you know, I'm just uh, – there's a, there's a saying that I really love called don't die with your music still in you, um, which obviously you're, you're not going to do. Um, <laughs> you've well and truly thrown that music uh, there's out more, there. There's more. But the expression, the expression is largely just it's saying that if there is something in you that you that you want to do, make sure you do it before you suddenly find yourself on your deathbed. Is it outside <laughs> of music and outside of the drums and all of that kind of you know? And and, and I know fa- you've got family and all that sort of stuff. But is there something that you your is there sort of like a secret passion that you've had in your life that either in the last couple of decades or something that you're still to to do that you need to do or that you want to fulfil before you leave the planet? Uh, I think I, it would be churlish of someone like me to complain mm, about anything mm, that we've had. Mm, mm. We're so fortunate to find the right chemistry in that band mm. and also my other bands, the Backsliders, the blues band I play in ah. and uh, with the album I made with Paul Green uh, and the, so it's all literally music for you. Yeah, really, pretty much. It? Even my hobbies are music, other bands. And oh. with each collaboration and writing songs with others, they mm. they take on a different, whole different. Mm. So if I write a song with Dom Turner, for example, from mm. Backsliders, mm. it becomes a Backsliders song. Mm-hmm. If I write a song with Jim Magini, become it'll become an oil song. Mm-hmm. If I write a song with Paul Green or with Sean Sennett, mm. um, they'll become different animals. And mm. that's – I couldn't really do that while – Midnight Oil were going, although mm. I did have a band called Ghost Riders go, for a go, while. Go, 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 going. Well, yeah, I had Ghost Riders for a while and Rick Rossman from The Gurus was my collaborator in that ah. band. So even even on my days off I was continuing to write. Mm. Some songs I wrote 
wouldn't have suited the oils. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so they ended up in other projects. Ah, right. Um, but there is, there is that still that great thrill, songwriters will tell you, of having something churning around yeah. in your brain for a long time. Yes. And then Wondering finally actually is. finding the place that goes with something else that you've suggested or someone else has suggested yeah. to collaborate with something which, you know, can still send a little shiver up the spine and, yeah. and be even just slightly original, just yeah. something of your own in amongst the massive amount of, you know, popular culture which mm. bombards people mm. on a daily basis. When So it's kind of like um, – so we've sort of got to finish up So because we need a refresher of that tea and, and that, that – um, the staff, I think her name's Kylie, um, she hasn't even been back to see us, which is disgusting. It's hard to get good help. It's, absolutely, especially in a place as big as this. You can't find them. You can't find the help. That's, that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> They're lost. They're absolutely. We should get them. It's pages. like Gosford Park. You ring a bell, don't you? And <laughs> they'll be here. They're just catching your cab. They'll be here in ten minutes. Um, but just go coming kind of full circle to what I was sort of saying at the start, and also just what you've been saying. But you know, someone that someone that ends up in having a career in a band as iconic as. Um, you have with Midnight Oil that has meant so much, like is literally embedded into the hearts, you know, the energy of your music and the time and the memories that all comes with that is is so embedded in so many um, Australians' lives. But yet you seem to be so humble and I think if there's anything that people and younger people in this day and age need to learn more of is being humble, you know, because I think, you know, with social media and and all of that sort of stuff, it doesn't promote uh, being humble, but that whole being humble and and saying yes to these sort of other collaborators, like that means a lot to a a lot of people. Like, you know, what, what do you, in terms of your life values and philosophy, in in terms of who well, you are and, and 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 what you can give to people, saying yes, like. Well, I think I'm. I think, um, like my two brothers, I think we're very formed by our brilliant parents. Mm, well done, Robin and them. Peter, who are both dead, but yeah. they they left an amazing legacy of how to live your life. They, yeah. And that generation, you're quite right, Amber. That generation put much greater. Uh, store on um, humility and yep. and pri- manners and privacy. Yep. And values. Yeah. And um, I'd like to think that myself and, and Stephen and Matthew all receive that in spades. Yeah. And and still hold that as central mm. to how we navigate ourselves. Do you think it's out of respect a lot to and, and love of your parents and especially now that, you know, they're both gone, it's almost like hanging on to what they taught you because it could have got lost along the way, especially with the mountains of success you've had, you know, is something that you like to sort of hang on to with pride? Yeah, I think I think you can get um, um, particularly when you're younger, although the thing, the, the other good thing about Midnight Oil success was that it was actually really slow. Mm, because okay. you know we started, uh, we started as so-called professional musicians in '77, mm. but it wasn't until '86, '87, mm. almost ten years later, mm. that Diesel and Dust came out, and we had that kind of massive international mm. success. So in that ten years, was hard graft every night, just building a crowd, yeah, you know, right. honing your craft, getting writing better songs, yeah. 
dealing with management, learning how contract details with mm. with um, with record companies and publishers, and and um, you know it was a slow build. Mm-hmm. So, did the other band members sort of have similar values to you? I think I think we're actually you know we've had um, as politicians would say we've had some robust arguments over the years. <laughs> Right. Yeah, but as but, all families do. Yeah, but I think in the bigger scheme of things, mm. you know, in the traditional far left and far right of politics, yeah. we're actually really close. Yeah, yeah. And, and I had to work that way. Yeah. In other words, the the songs that Jim and I were writing, yeah. and that Pete was contributing to, yeah. and the and what Pete was delivering from the lip of the stage, and in interviews. Mm. It had to add up, otherwise you'd be constantly rubbing against each other. Yeah. So I think we're actually really close. Yeah. With, our, with our values and our backgrounds, quite similar. Peter Gifford, former bass player's mm-hmm. background was a little bit different. He came from a kind of more of a tradie background. All his brothers were different tradesmen. Oh, right. Um, whereas myself and Peter and Jim and Martin all went to uni doing different things mm. and either finished our courses or um, our courses were interrupted by this band who mm. – had to hit the road in yeah. early 78, you know, full time. Yeah. And make that first album. How do you sit down? And I said that we were finishing up, but now I'm going to keep going for a sec. Um, how do you, I mean, I, lo- I love getting inside people's heads about their creative process because I like writing and I've been writing a book for oh, years and years and years. So I've worked out what works for me, what doesn't work for me, and, you know, everything in between. Um, and I always like, asking people because I like to picture where are you and what are your tools around you when you are writing, when you've got that little seed of an idea. Oh, like so old school. You'd be horrified. No, I love old school. Well, because you know what, because who I've actually got in my head when I was sort of recalling the people that I've asked about that process, one of them being um, Jackie Collins, yeah, yeah. the writer, yeah. and she um, – she said, and she just painted this beautiful picture upstairs in their little attic office, um, looking out over you know Los Angeles with a, would have been a beautiful, an incredible view. But she um, used to handwrite in the old leather journals, so she'd handwrite a whole book in that. She'd tie it up and she'd send it off with her publisher. personal assistant yeah, yeah. to the publisher to yeah. say transcribe this. Yeah, great. And she always she never wavered from yeah. that. Yeah, didn't Tim Winton write dirt music in longhand pencil? <laughs> oh really? Uh, that might be an apocryphal story, but I did hear oh, that. Okay. Yeah. But, <laughs> so what's um, yours? Well, mine's the classic. You know, keeping a notebook with me all the time. Yeah. So jotting if, down. If something that you said today, Amber, was yeah. brilliant. Of course, like everything you say. I, I feel like there's an album <laughs> about to come out here. I mean, really. Do. <laughs> so I. And I will invoice so, you yeah, heavily well, for that twenty yeah, percent. So, yeah. Well, there's a long list <laughs> of invoices because <laughs> I, then I'll jot that down because I'll I'll immediately forget it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come mind like a steel trap if I don't write it down straight away. And then I'll collect all of these ideas. Mm. And then when it's songwriting time, when there's finally you get an hour or two without, you know, the bombardment of the outside world, then I can actually sit down with my guitar and and actually just. And remember, look at what you've written. Bring these ideas, put them all out in front of me, the scraps of paper. Oh, I love that. And then try to find links between the ideas that that were at very different times. Really? So that, because if you know, if you were a songwriter and started, okay, 
I'm going to write a song that's got an intro, mm. it's a verse, chorus, first oh, chorus, okay, yeah. middle eight, yeah. second verse, double theme, end, you know, it would be the most predictable song. But if you're taking ideas from different times of your lives, of your life from different people, from different places that you've mm-hmm. been, it's more likely to be something compelling. But then what's the thread without sounding like you're well, the they're, they're, they're ending up with the, a song that sounds like you've got schizophrenia? The, the thread is something you have to draw out of all these ideas. After which you've is, sort Which is of often the last in. thing that comes. Oh, really? Suddenly the light goes on and goes, ah. That's what all that's of what, this is about. That's what that song's about. Oh, my God. Often, often I'm the last to know. Like, for example, I'll take wow. a song to Dom Turner or Jim, a genie, yeah. and they'll go, oh, that song's about, I think, oh, yeah, I guess it is. But you that's get too close to it, you know. Bizarre. And that's why great songwriting partnerships are so important because you need because someone with a great… Because they can see something at a time. Well, well, you need someone you trust and someone who's got a great bedside manner yeah. to be able to see this idea you've been working on, working on, working on for face value and pick out the good from the chaff, the wheat from the chaff. Yeah. That's, how you, that's why it's so great. And that's why these legendary songwriting partnerships, you know, from, you know, Boyce and Hart to… Yeah. Lennon McCartney to whoever, all the way through, works so much better that way because if you're just sitting on the, in your room, mm. as you know, hammering this stuff out, slowly going crazy, mm. then you can sit there for months and months and make no progress. Have you got a song that's cooking at the moment? Oh, yeah, always got some songs. Do you? Yeah. Can you tell me what, can, <laughs> what is it about? Anything? Do you know what it's about yet or you still don't Well, know? yes, I can tell you about the one I'm thinking about at the moment. You and tell that, me. Well, this might sound very typical me or Midnight Oil or whatever, yeah. but hey, you know, we... Who cares? We're still fans. Yeah. We're not bored yet. So there I am watching um, Ivanka Trump ship, oh sipping champagne oh God. with Netanyahu uh, as oh. Jerusalem, as the embassy, American embassy has moved to Jerusalem from Tel Aviv at exactly the same time that young Palestinian men, Ivanka's age, who had the temerity to throw some rocks and fly some kites... Uh, killed, shot dead by Israeli snipers. Wow. And Australia will still not condemn that level of Mm. unbalance Mm. between... And, you know, so the, the, the challenge for someone like me is how do I actually write a song about something which is so embedded in Mm -hmm. two camps Mm -hmm. and shades between Mm. and actually just get to the humanity or the inhumanity of that Mm. in a song which doesn't sound like a weepy or something insufferably saccharine. Yes. I haven't got it yet, but I'm working on it. Well, that's a genius of you and that's kind of what makes you sort of musicians, not musicians, magicians because you're actually trying to cast a spell while making it but while packaging it in a deliverable, digestible, something that feels current and that people, yeah, this is cool. There's a lot of stuff you're trying to do, but essentially you're trying to cast a spell, which is get have words, make an impact and, and diffuse or change someone's opinion on a situation they may not have thought of. So well, it's this really is what, this is what, magician this kind is what, of stuff. I've always thought this is what the arts are supposed to be about. Yeah. Oh, I look forward to that song. Yeah, it might be a long time coming until I actually, you know, honed it. Well, we're going to have to pack up now, and you can have one more. You can have one more muffin and one more cup of tea. But I've then had you no, need to. I've had no bickies. No, you haven't had, had any bickies. I've had one cup of tea. The staff is on strike. <laughs> <What> is <it? laughs> 
me, darling. We're starving and thirsty. <laughs> um, thank you again um, for saying yes. Yeah, my pleasure, Amber. Thank you. you enjoyed this episode i want to thank yamaha music australia for getting on board and supporting this series please visit au.yamaha.com forward slash podcast to find out more about new products and promotions and if you'd like to help us spread the musical love it would be great if you could subscribe to our series via itunes and leave us a review if you feel inclined to hear more podcasts from me you can head to amberpetty.com.au.